Hey, Lewis here. I mean, obviously it's me, right? I'm the only guy who actually runs this freaking show. Anyways, I'm here to tell you about something that I'm working on that I'm really excited about. It's not going to be ready until later this year. However, I'm going to give you the lowdown on it so you can get it for free. Here it is. I am going to be releasing a podcast monetization masterclass. I've been spending the last few months on this, building it, refining it, even training my team on how to use this with our own clients. When it is out and finally published and ready, it will be anywhere from, I'd say, $47 to $197. I'm not sure what I'm going to price it at yet, and there will be a lot of bonuses that go with this course as well. However, the first 100 people who actually raise their hand, say they want it, and actually go through the course and give me good feedback are going to get it for free, okay? So if you want to be one of those 100 people, there will be a link to a page where you can sign up and add your name to it and your email, and then I will send you the 1.0 version of this course when it is out, all right? You'll be one of the first 100 people. Once I hit 100 people, I am shutting it off, and it will be a paid product, and that will be it, all right? So make sure if you want this course for free, be one of those 100 people because that is the only way you will be able to get it for free. All right, that is it. Now back to this episode. Welcome to How to Get Your First 100,000 Podcast Listeners, where we talk about the very granular how-to tactics, as well as the big picture thinking you need to grow and multiply your listener base. My name is Luis Diaz. Let's dive in. Awesome. So Noah, uh, it's been about a month since I, I met you and in digging into your stuff, dude, it's been awesome to know and see what you've been building in the background. Cause I'd never heard about you up until now, up until about a month ago when you reached out to me, man. So first of all, good to connect. And, um, I had the pleasure of being on your show not too long ago. Um, the Profit with Podcasting show, which is an amazing name, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Thank it's you. A, you know, it's amazingly simple, but it gets the point across. I'm like, damn, that was a great name, man. Um, but anyways, uh, before jumping into a little bit about your background, people have already heard the intro, but I want to set the stage here because we're going to be talking about all things sponsorships. You've done sponsorships for your podcast, your first one, and and uh, you know the ins and outs probably better than most people. So I want to get you on your chat about that. Um Obviously, prior to dive, dive into that, let's talk about your podcast a little bit and how you got started in podcasting and then we can go from there. Definitely, man. Lewis, what a treat it is being on your show today. Uh, thanks so much, dude, for the kind introduction. Uh, how I got into podcasting was back in 2018 when I started my first podcast. It was a history podcast called The History of Vikings. Uh, now, when I started that show, I was actually only 16 years old at the time, just a Bambi, didn't know hardly anything about digital marketing. But through starting that show, I learned a great deal about sponsorships and ad revenue, which we'll talk about today, other ways to monetize a podcast and so forth. But the history of Vikings, within five months of launching that show, it was consistently getting 50,000 downloads every single month. Um, that show featured conversations between myself and different historians, scholars, professors from Oxford, Harvard, Yale University, etc. So like I said, I started my first show in 2018. Um, it really grew a nice sizable audience and that opened up a lot of different opportunities for me, both monetization slash sponsorship opportunities in the 
uh, I guess you could say history, humanities, educational industry, um, but also, you know, the opportunity to connect with other great podcasters like yourself. And, you know, since the history of Vikings, I've gone on to do other podcasts and work with people as a, you know, B2B podcast consultant. And the show I'm running now is called Profit with Podcasting. And of course, listeners should definitely check out your appearance on the show, Lewis. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, dude. That's that's a great overview. And um, I'm excited to jump in today because that show you grow initially, um, and we'll make sure we have the uh, episode we did together of you on your podcast in the show notes below. Um, but that show you grew initially is a very niche show. You're talking about one thing here, you know, and I think a lot of people sometimes tend to forget that like it's, it's counterintuitive, but if you go niche and if you go small and very specific, you can actually really, really create some amazing opportunities for yourself. So I want to dive into that. And before we get to the ad revenue and diving into the specifics and ins and outs of sponsorships, um, how did, how and why did you pick, you know, your show, you know, the history of Vikings um, what was the reason for it? And also your show is actually quite well produced too. So I want to get into that a little bit as well. And how do you figure that out as a 16 year old kid? How do I create a high production? Well, well put together podcast. Yeah. Well, uh, with the history of Vikings, I knew I wanted to do a podcast. I was a lifelong still am history buff. I understand you are too, Lewis, which is awesome. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, um, you know, to be honest, I love so many different time periods in history. Vikings were really popular at the time. The you know hit TV show was still airing on the History Channel. Neil Gaiman had written a book on Norse mythology, so it was just very much in the media, and you know, in sort of the you know content that I was consuming, just as a history buff, I thought, well, hey, Vikings are popular. Why not Vikings? Uh, and I, to be honest, when I first started that show, I really was not that familiar with that subject at all. But I knew that it was popular. Uh, I knew that the listenership and those consuming content were eager for it. And the first guest I got on the show was Professor Caroline Larrington, the professor of medieval literature at Oxford University. And what I quickly discovered in producing that show is that Vikings are a niche topic like Vikings and Norse myth itself is a niche topic, but my listenership wanted to go even more niche. Like I'm talking, we've done episodes on everything from Viking naval battles to old Norse death poetry, to the way in which J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings was very much inspired by the Norse myths about Thor and Odin and Loki. I mean, very, very niche. The people who were tuning in were just diehard fanatics about this time period in history. Um, so that was one thing that I was like, wow, like, you know, the, the kinds of content that these people are, are, are craving is absolutely nuts. Uh, the most popular episode of the history of Vikings of all time is an episode on an occurrence when Vikings actually made it to Spain and they met Muslims. So like, Vikings and Muslims, like in history, very niche. Uh, that episode got tons of downloads. Second uh, most well-performing episode was on the holiday of Yule, which is like, I guess you could say like the Viking Christmas. So like the old Norse winter, winter solstice. So like very, very niche, but this is what people love. In terms of production, I mean, you know, I was a kid at the time. I was bootstrapping it. I was, I was watching tutorials on YouTube, um, you know, music radio creative tutorials and that sort of thing. And I was editing a lot of the content myself, um, you know, creatively. 
And then, and then also, you know, getting some high quality music and some other things there. So in terms of like the production of the show, I guess that's kind of where it was coming from at the time. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I noticed the music you put on there is like there's different soundtracks. Like it's, it's, it's really well, it's really nice. And it gives it a great feel too. Like this, you set the tone really well when it comes to uh, clicking the button and figuring like, okay, what is this going to be going to be about? What's the tone like? Like you set the tone for a Viking history show really well, in my opinion, at least now. So let's rewind this. So you start this podcast at 16, five months in, you're getting around 50,000 downloads. When does the monetization come in? And as a guy like that young, it's like, you know, you've got a pretty decent audience at that size. It's awesome. Um, how did they approach you or did you approach them? Like how did the whole monetizing the podcast through sponsorships come about? Right, right. So I started monetizing uh, almost immediately after I started the show due to the large listenership. Now, I will say for those listening, you do not have to have 50,000 downloads a month to monetize your podcast. I've certainly done other podcasts and have monetized them without that large of a listenership. In fact, with listenerships, not even anywhere close to 50K downloads a month. Um, But I started fairly soon. So I launched that show in March of 2018. I was monetizing, I want to say like June, July of that year. So very, very, you know, straight out of the gate. Um, I was contacting all of the sponsors and building relationships with them, Um, you know, simply because the show was new, although it was popular, I had to make myself known and make introductions. So, um, you know, through that experience, I have done sponsorship the wrong way and I have done sponsorship the right way. Um, but I would say for majority of podcasters out there, no matter how popular or well-known you are in your industry, you're probably going to be doing most of the outreach regarding sponsorship. So in my case, that was sending emails uh, occasionally. Uh, and I, you know, I since developed this strategy tactically, but I wasn't intentional. I would invite various guests on the show who might represent a company. And then that would lead to a relationship that could garner a sponsorship. Got it. Smart. So strategic outreach around interviewing the right people, maybe people who are maybe selling products that are like Viking related or, you know, they have exactly, they sell some kind of product or similar to what you're talking about. Got it. Got it. And in terms of like email outreach, like how did you find sponsors? Because like even now, like you have Podcorn, you have Red Circle. There's a couple of places out there that are like marketplaces now for for podcast sponsorships. I think PodGo is another one mm-hmm. if you're if you're a podcaster or an advertiser. Um, but back then, I'm guessing this was not this was probably not you know as, as relevant or as, as popular as those places. So how did you find sponsors um, initially, and what did that email look like? If you care, if you can share it, uh, just a yeah, absolutely overview. Cool. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, Lewis, I'm happy to actually share the exact email that I used simply because it's been successful. If listeners would like to uh, embellish it themselves or just listen to it and take it as consideration for how they might inspire their own uh, outreach copy, happy to happy to share that today. Um, so in terms of like sourcing sponsors, I did a lot of market research seeing who was already sponsoring content in the history field. So um, because most history podcasts, you know, 
aside from the really big network ones, which were doing like dynamic insertion and that sort of thing, um, they weren't getting a lot of sponsors. What I did is I looked in different places. So there was a lot of um, large, you know, 100,000 plus subscriber history YouTube channels that I had a connection to. I would look at their sponsors. I would look at um, historical magazines, which were very heavily sponsored with different traditional print ads. And I would look at some of who these sponsors are. And I really had to get creative because, you know, there are a few companies out there that are providing Viking products, you know, replica swords that may cost anywhere from 300 to a thousand dollars, um, different sort of like Viking lifestyle things. Uh, clothing and and the store like that sort of stuff. There were only so many of those companies, and they were often small companies and didn't necessarily have the budget for what we were looking to do with sponsorship. So I had to like think more broadly. There were a lot of video game developing companies out there that were producing video games related to the Middle Ages or Vikings. I got in touch with them. Um, different like DNA test companies was another good one for us. Um, I'm just trying to think what else we did. Publishing companies is a good one. Um, you know, so there's all these different things that you can think of also like, um, like, like antiques, collectibles, rare coins, that sort of thing, stuff, that stuff that's not intrinsically related to Vikings, but would be a fit. So in terms of outreach, what I did is I found out who the director of marketing, VP of marketing, who the highest echelon in the marketing department was at each one of these respective companies. And I would send them an email directly. Um, I would source their email. Rocketreach.co is a great way to get emails like that. You pay you know, 50 bucks a month or something like that. And it's a directory to get contact information for a lot of like, you know, obscure out of reach executives. So that's one way that I got a lot of that contact information. And then I just want to tell listeners, um, you have to remember podcasting is getting bigger than ever before. So there are certain phrases that you should use in your sponsorship outreach that will be more favorable to corporations. So you're not a podcast host. You're a journalist who runs a media company. That's the way you should think of sponsorship. So in my case, here's just a little snippet of some of the outreach copy that I had used. Hello, my name is Noah Tetzner. I'm a historian. I have written books about history, a show host and founder of the History of Vikings, a media company curating scholarly discussions about the history of medieval Scandinavia. History of Vikings has an extensive reach of 50K podcast listeners a month, 13K followers on Twitter, and 6.5K subscribers on YouTube. Our company was recently featured in history.com history channel in the independent UK. So in those first two sentences of that outreach copy, what I have done is established instant credibility. You know, I've hooked them. Okay. He was featured in major media. Looks like the company has a large reach. I'm writing you today as I'd love to advertise your products through HOV and think they'd be an excellent fit because of their relation to history, heritage, et cetera. My audience is your target market as it's entirely composed of curious history buffs passionate about the past, eager to discover their heritage. Uh, in this case, this was a message I sent to a DNA company. I'd love to discuss sponsorship with your company as I'm a fan myself. If it would be of interest, perhaps we could chat sometime this week. So, um, that message worked really well for us. I'm not saying that's a template that everyone should follow, but I just want to share some of what that phraseology could look like. Think of yourself as a media company and a journalist. 
That's a great mental reframe. Um, I want to highlight that because that's a great mental reframe. You're talking to corporations. Corporations have a set of language they use. Um, they also have an ad budget that that marketing director is in charge of, and he's got to spend it. So um, it's important to realize that. I remember, I forget why I was learning this, but um, it's something around podcast sponsorships and like wanting to email people at the end of the quarter because that's usually when they have some budget left over and they have to spend it. Right. These corporations, and if they don't spend it, then they can lose it the next quarter. That it gets like they kind of like you know, company looks like oh you didn't need the other extra fifty thousand dollars we gave you, so we're gonna take that and put this over here in the finance or HR. So um, it, that that just can reminds you of like you have to really put yourself in their shoes, put yourself. Make sure you're speaking their language. Make sure you're positioning it as a win for them. And like you said in the beginning, the first two sentences, you're really saying, like letting them know, like you're an authority, you're a legitimate company, you've got an excellent following, and you should definitely do business with me. Um, it is a no-brainer. So that like that email you made is like a complete no-brainer. Absolutely, I'd take a call for that. Someone sent me that email. So um, that's a great, great resource. And um, for people who haven't listened or haven't seen that or want to listen to it again, like pause this, rewind it, and like model that to to your obviously to your niche and podcast, um, awesome. So for you, Noah, how long like how long did you do that before you got a hit? Before you kind of locked down your first deal um, through that outreach process? To be honest, I was you know I had bites right out of the gate. Um, you know, so I might spend a week you know researching and then drafting and sending out messages to something like 10 different companies of potential sponsorships. And right off the bat, I might get two or three people who would respond and then we'd have a call and subsequently do a sponsorship after some negotiation. And again, that initial call, maybe a secondary call, you know, discussing perspectives and different ways of formatting the sponsorship and so forth. Um, so yeah, we were getting, we were getting them right out of the gate. Gotcha. Now when it comes to ads, uh, podcast sponsorship, there's a lot of ways to skin the proverbial cat. Yeah. Um, so, uh, <laughs> when it comes to, when it comes to sponsorships, did you do a CPM deal or cost per milli deal? Did you do kind of like a custom advertising package, which is like you get your YouTube, the podcast and email list for X amount X price. Mm. What worked for you in terms of like, you're dealing with corporations. They typically buy in a certain way. They're used to buying certain types of products in a certain format, um, or, you know, like packaging structure. So what works for you in terms of packaging those, those podcast sponsorships? That's such an excellent question, Lewis. So um, one thing I just like to, you know, remind listeners of is this. So when I was doing my research for potential sponsors, all of the companies that I reached out to, I knew were actively advertising. Uh, that's true for the majority of them. Cause that's how I found them. Their ads were in magazines, so forth. Um, some companies do podcast sponsorship all the time, and they will be very non-negotiable about how they do things. Here is our CPM rate. Here's how we're going to do it. You need to guarantee us an X number of impressions. That's downloads for podcasters, etc. cetera. So, um, but, but then most companies, in my experience, actually don't really know that much about podcast advertising. They have notions. They might be like, well, okay. So, you know, I've had, I've had people, executives at these companies say things to me like, um, isn't CPM, you know, typically how it works in podcast sponsorships and so forth. Um, so there's a lot of ambiguity. Podcast sponsorship is not as big as some other different advertising mechanisms. So keep that in mind and really sort of try to profile and hone in on your audience's knowledge of the podcasting space, because that'll help you a lot in your pricing negotiations and so forth. Um, so 
I personally am not a huge fan of CPM simply because um, I think it's arbitrary. It is sort of the industry standard as far as so many people are using it, but it's really not an effective way to monetize your podcast because most people don't have 50K downloads a month. You know, if you're getting $25 CPM, that's like 25 bucks per thousand downloads and your show's only getting, you know, 3K downloads a month. Um, I mean, that's like 75 bucks there. And if you do it per episode, that's 70 times, 75 times four. That's not a lot of money. And especially, I mean, think of all, not only the, the resources, the paying for the hosting, so forth, you're putting into your show. Um, but like, think of all the opportunity costs. That's just not enough to foot the bill for your podcast. You're worth more than that. And remember, you're, you're not just this rinky dink podcaster. You're the host of, you're the journalist representing a media company. So I don't like CPM. And to be honest, I've never used it. What we've done is I've always offered monthly packages. I try to get sponsors to give me a minimum commitment of at least six months. Uh, three to six months is usually what they're willing to oblige to. Um, other, you know, Otherwise, if it's a really lucrative deal, I might say, hey, look, minimum one month commitment. That is the bare minimum we can do because the sponsor needs a return on their investment and they need to see if they're going to be making money from you. So they want to get their feet wet. But at the same time, um, you know, that sponsor needs to build a relationship with your audience in a sense. And that takes time. You need to be repeating their message many times across multiple episodes. It's the only way it's going to be effective. So we've done packaged deals. Um, that's kind of how we've done it. And in that package deal, we have offered, you know, promotion on Twitter via our mailing list, YouTube, and then also our podcast. Got it. Yeah. So custom advertising, what, yep. what I call CIP model custom advertising packages exactly that's what we use first that's some of our clients use for all, all, um, like when we recommend like hey we're sponsoring what should we do like well you should do a mixture instead of just cpms because you're not going to make any money off of cpms right. um, i can imagine you're probably getting you know 10 to 20 30x the like the amount of money you're oh yeah you would compare to if you use a cpm model um so that's that's really good to know. I'm glad to hear we're on the same page on that. So I, I would say, yeah, I mean, a minimum three month commitment would make sense for a, a serious company because they need to. Uh, you're right, like they need to hear this five, six, seven, eight times before they actually buy or click or do anything. Typically, um, so so awesome. I mean, in terms of in terms of doing it wrong, you mentioned this before. So, is there anything you did wrong? You don't have to say any names, or you can just give the example of the idea or of the of the situation. But what was a mistake you made early on or some, something that you would um, probably recommend people avoid when yeah. it comes to these kind of things? Yeah. I mean, so so there's two key things that, I mean, they sound basic. Like, you know, your listeners might be hearing me now and they'll say, duh. But like, seriously, if you've not done podcast sponsorship before, it's they are so easy mistakes to make. The first one is not contacting the right person at the potential sponsorship company. So you want the marketing department. Don't just find some old email address, info at insert company name, your email will just get lost and it will not break through the internal communication structure uh, at these big corporations. So you want to find direct email addresses of the marketing department. If it's a smaller company, go with the CEO, the founder, or the co-founder is what I would advise. So make sure you're emailing the right department. Um, depending on the situation, 
It could be advantageous to DM the company via social media because the marketing director might also manage um, the social media accounts, or at least you know a marketing assistant or somebody could easily pass your message along to someone in that department. Uh, keep that message short, definitely. It doesn't need to be as long as my email was that I uh, read earlier in this episode. So that's one of the mistakes. Second biggest mistake is not asking for enough money. Reason being is... Uh, you know, not that we're as podcasters trying to be greedy or anything, but if you ask for enough money um, and you're touting yourself as the owner of a media company, you will come across as legitimate. You know, if, if you're messaging a big corporation that deals with, you know, massive influencers and then you ask for only, you know, a hundred bucks per podcast episode or less, you know, in their mind, they're going to think that, you know, you're not credible, you're not legitimate. You know, I wouldn't buy, you know, a pair of Yeezys for $10 or some sort of new shoe. I would be thinking, what, is this a fake or something like that? You know, and that's a psychology thing in business. Everybody knows that when you pay more money for something, sometimes it can come across as more valuable and more advantageous to you. So definitely use the custom pricing model. I, that would be, that's just my two cents and make sure you're asking for enough money. And, th- and that's one of the things that'll come along with monthly packages. Don't price it on a per episode basis. Do it on packages. Good point there. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Like, how are you pricing them? Because like, I'm sure if you say someone like, hey, it's two grand uh, for the month for three months and we run four episodes, the first thing they do is like, okay, so I'm paying 500 bucks a month and it's like 500 bucks per episode. Right. And it's like, well, not exactly because that's because you have all those different layers. You have the YouTube, right. Twitter, all those right. other things. You're like, you, you, they cannot do that now. Yeah, they could get granular and do that, but it's like, eh, not so much. You're paying for more than that. Um, so that that makes a lot of, that makes a lot of sense in terms of like being able to show more value up front instead of them just kind of commoditizing your pricing and commoditizing your your exactly. offer. Um, in terms of contracts, and this is something like, do, do these companies come to you with a contract? I'm sure the ones like so let's just say that you're dealing with somebody who does podcast contract sponsorships all the time. Do they have a set in place contract? Do they ask you to supply that? How does that work? Most do. Uh, Most do. Most of the companies that I've worked with have some sort of contract. They might need to edit it slightly if they haven't worked with podcasters extensively before. Uh, For some of the smaller businesses, uh, you as the podcaster will, you know, be required to source the contract. And I mean, there's templates you can find on the internet and you can even connect with other podcasters. So yeah, that's been my experience. Gotcha. Yeah. And you mentioned something before around minimum guaranteed downloads. And I've heard this before in certain scenarios where a company's like, you got to guarantee us or you're going to get us 30,000 impressions or IE downloads. Um, It's just so people don't know for for those who don't know is what's the, I guess, do they not pay you if you don't hit that number or is there, do they take some off of like your, your monthly retainer? What does that look like? Those numbers aren't met. Right, right, exactly. They'll they'll try to put some clause in the contract about that. Um, either like essentially you won't get paid, or there might be some sort of adjustment to your compensation. Um, you know, in that case, it, it's one of those things where like so like our podcast episodes for the history of Vikings, um, the downloads vary from episode to episode. I mean, we can obviously the show collectively gets well over 50k downloads a month but individually we might have an episode one week that does 15k downloads over the course of 30 days we might have one that does 30k downloads so you know for somebody to say like m- guarantee us a minimum of 
30K downloads per episode, I simply couldn't do that. What I would come back and I would say is, hey, listen, um, our average download numbers per episode are, mm-hmm. you know, 20,000 per episode. Um, here's a screenshot of some recent analytics of ours. And right. while I can't guarantee that, I can assure you that it will be within this threshold. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you're, yeah. And, and they're, they're looking at it. This is maybe a little bit too, too deep in the weeds, but they're looking at it as like, we need to average 20,000 per, for those four episodes, for example, that I'm sponsoring, or if it's like, they all have to be over 20,000. Is that just wording in the contract? If you, if you get what I mean? Um, like for example, if you have an average of 20,000, you know, or like, let's just say you have 20, 19, 21, 21, are they going to ding you for that one episode that doesn't have 19 that doesn't have the 20,000 downloads. Not if you communicate with them ahead of time before that Got contract it. is signed. Um, okay. you know what, what the sponsor's trying to do obviously is risk reversal. They're trying to, yeah. and, and that's something you want to do too. When you communicate with a sponsor, either via a zoom call or via email, anytime you ask for more money or anytime you try to do something that helps you as a podcaster, you have to make it seem, and I mean, this is the case, it's reality, that it benefits them. Like, hey, we need a minimum three-month commitment so that we can get you excellent results. So it has to be very them-centric. Right. Don't know what my video is doing right now. There we go. Okay. For those who are on the audio section, my video is acting up. Um, Very good point around there. And this is something that you brought up just now that I want to definitely explore because I've heard different uh, stories around this or different ways to, to like, to talk about this, but what download, what metrics are they looking for? I know it's downloads per episodes, but is it within seven days, 30 days, 60 days? Do they care if, do they care about anything after that 30 day mark when it comes to the numbers they're looking at? Um, or is that like kind of like the only thing they're focused on? Yeah, that's, um, that, that's the primary metric downloads per episode. Um, to be honest, in my experience, I haven't had too many people debate me as to what that time scale was. If it's like within seven days, if it's within one month, um, it's very well accepted in the podcast industry that uh, downloads per episode is kind of assumed that that's within 30 days, you know, after right. the episode's release. So that's kind of the metrics that I've touted um, for that. Yeah. Got it. Just want to make sure if there was any pushback or if they're they're wanting the seven day downloads, the sixty day downloads, or whatever the case may be. Gotcha, man. So you've we've done. A, I think we've done a decently good job of covering the sponsorship side. I've got one or two other questions to ask sure. you. But is there anything else around sponsorships that we should know, or just you think generally? Like if 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 I was a client coming to you for figuring out a way to sponsor, get sponsors on my podcast and and ultimately monetize it. Mm. There's other things we need to chat about. Um, when it comes to what to know and what not to do. One of the things I will say is depending on the company, um, again, your negotiations with sponsors and your discussions are going to vary from company to company to company, but just make sure you have all of the resources you could potentially need available. So some companies are going to really, really care about demographics. They want to know the, the gender, the age, that sort of thing, and where your people are listening from. So uh, that information is really easy to source. A lot of it can be sourced from your hosting company. Um, Otherwise, a lot of it can be sourced from your Spotify account, um, which I understand that not all your listeners are listening from Spotify, but increasingly many of them will be. So um, and that's and that's a great thing too. Is do your market research on these companies and try to figure out who their ideal 
avatar is, or simply ask, you know, your contact in your zoom meeting, Hey, what are your marketing goals for this quarter? You know, who is your ideal customer? How much is your average customer worth to you? Um, so we were doing some negotiations once with a video game company that developed mobile games about the middle ages. And one of the statistics we were sure to quote is the fact that 90% of all of our listeners listen on a mobile device. Um, also the video game industry is heavily dominated by younger demographics. So 70% of our listeners were between the ages of 18 to 34, 70% of them happened to be male, which, um, also that company had a very like sort of male centric in a positive sense you know, audience for their video games. Got it. Interesting. So you're, you're, you're tailoring the graph or the demographics of tailoring the data to the person you're obviously sponsoring or looking to get a sponsorship with. Got it. Very cool. Um, this, this, um, popped in my head when we were chatting and I, I wanted to know, definitely wanted to know, um, this This is now, this is from the growth side of things, not the monetization side, but sure. When it comes to growing a podcast so fast, what do you think really did it for you? Did people naturally just find your podcast just because it was about Vikings and there's maybe less people in the marketplace who are supplying that that need for a Viking podcast? Was there promotion that you did that worked well? Was it a combination? Because um, for you to go from zero to 50,000 a month is really, really impressive. Um, but yeah, I, I've had podcasts that grow, you know, grow relatively fast because the name and the market, it's just so spot on to what the, right. what the customer wants. It just grows like, wildfire. But I wanted to hear from your experience if that was the case. Yeah. I mean, so one of the things is that the topic was already super popular um, and our perspective was unique. So we took, so it's interesting. So this is just sort of like the, so when we started the history of Vikings in 2018, the general consensus around Viking history was kind of amateur. It was very much like the grab your drinking hoard and beard oil and yeehaw, you know, we're going to do Vikings. But the perspective we took was, Hey, we know that Vikings actually did exist. So we're going to interview professors from Oxford, Harvard, Yale, university of Iceland, you know, Cambridge university, etc., And we're going to dive into deep historical nuances about this. So it was a very vibrant topic. And then we infused it with like a new perspective. So it was unique. It was memorable, etc. Um, you know, it's one of those things. So try to find a point of view that's already popular or, uh, an element of something that could be made popular. So, um, that's one of the things that we did in terms of growing the audience. Um, there were a lot of different things I did to grow the show, uh, collaborating with other podcasters, doing, you know, promo swaps, interview swaps. That's very effective. Um, you know, one of the things that people for many years have talked about is try to get high profile guests on your show and then share, have them share their interview with their social media followers or even mailing list. Um, that kind of worked for us. I mean, it, it maybe only got us a few extra dozen downloads per episode, depending on the person. But what I did is I, I sort of like expanded that. So if I had a historian who had written a best-selling book on my show, not only would I have them share it on social media, I'd then contact their publisher and ask the publisher to share the interview. And then I'd also contact the department of their university or their like press room at the university and have the university share it as well. So I would always think to myself, who all is connected to this person and who could benefit from the publicity this interview is generating. 
great, great way to think about it. And to just to go a level deeper and a level, uh, the next level, like we all know, like yeah, get your guests to promote, but let's take it a step further. Um, you're interviewing authors or publicists who probably want to hear this. And also they're, right. maybe they're a, a professor than their university, which you're, you're going at their very prestigious universities, right? Yale, Harvard, right. Oxford, um, Cambridge. Uh, so it makes sense. Makes sense. Did you, did you like kind of use it as a marketing, as a marketing piece? Like, Hey, we interview lecturers or professors from these prestigious schools. Definitely. Definitely did. Mm -hmm. That was one of the things because it gave us credibility, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it helped in so many ways, not only like getting featured in major media, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't just some teenager talking about Vikings. I was this person curating scholarly discussions with people. And like, I mean, that had a domino effect. We got featured in major media because of it. It was so easy to connect with potential guests. Uh, I, I did, I, uh, I was bored one weekend. So I sort of put something together and ran statistics for every outreach message that I sent for the history of Vikings in terms of getting guests. And I don't have it anymore, but it was like a 70% return rate in ter- like 70% of all people we reached out to said yes and ended up booking an interview on the show. And these were high profile people. Um, uh, best-selling authors and so forth. And also like, it just goes to show you like that gave us credibility to the point where um, just a little sidebars, I've done a lot of work in the homeschooling industry, which uh, is a $2.5 billion industry. It's absolutely massive. Um, so when I would connect with different homeschool companies from a business perspective, I'd, I'd mention my podcast and they would share it with their followers on their social media. And they'd say, Hey, Hey parents, guess what? Uh, your high schooler can get history credit, you know, for high school by listening to this podcast. Cause it's a conversation with a professor. So like the credibility really helped a great deal. That's interesting way to parlay that into other industries, right. And leverage that. That's awesome. I actually have a client who's in the homeschooling, homeschooling kind of homesteading industry. So I may have to make a connection for you guys. Awesome. Uh, very, very cool, man. Um, anything else? I mean, this has been a great conversation. So I think a lot of people have, we, everyone here has things to take away and to learn to implement on this podcast. Um, anything else you want to say before we wrap this up and tell people where to find you? Yeah, I would just say, don't be afraid to do sponsorship. Um, it's kind of a myth, this whole concept of you have to grow a massive audience before you can start to monetize because what it all comes down to is relationships. You know, in my case, I did things a little bit differently in that I had a large audience, um, but connect with your right fit, hard to reach potential sponsor prospects by inviting them to be a guest on your show or contact somebody who you think knows somebody within that company and interview them, build a relationship, put on your journalist hat, not your sales hat and give them value, give their company publicity ahead of time, build a relationship on social media. Um, it's all about relationships. That's just my, my one little thing that I'll leave listeners with. I love it. I love it, dude. You've shared some really great things here uh, in this episode, Noah. So, um, profit with podcasting is the podcast. People can go listen to you there. Is there anywhere else, um, they should know if they want to connect with you? Yeah. Well, thanks Lewis. Um, and what a treat has been speaking with you today again. Yeah. Profit with podcasting is the place to be available across, you know, all podcasting platforms. You know, I still do the history of Vikings, uh, every once in a great while, still producing content over there, history of Vikings available on all platforms. But those are the two main podcasts I'm doing these days. 
Love it. Well, Noah, thank you so much for your time, man. And I look forward to connecting with you in the future and having you on again. And um, for those who are listening, thank you for uh, blessing us with your attention this far. So I appreciate it.